By the way, if you want your outline, you might want to take some notes. Just so you know, there's no way we can get through it all. <laughs> In fact, you might even want to turn it over and uh, take a couple notes. There's quite a bit I've added, and like I said, I know we can't get through it. <clears throat> all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I like how one author commented on that particular verse. He said, hey, wanderer. Yeah, you. Stop glancing over your shoulder. Look in the mirror. The sobering truth is we are all wanderers. Either we did wander, or we are wandering, or we're going to wander. We're all wanderers. To wander is to proceed without a proper sense of direction. As one said, spinning out of orbit, going astray, or as Isaiah said, turning to our own ways. Again, we're like foolish sheep. We so quickly go off the path. Isn't that true? You can be worshiping the Lord right now. Oh, praise the Lord for all that He has done. And we could be off wandering just in a very, very short time. Even Perhaps even as you go home from church. And yet, in John 10, it, Jesus is referred to as the Good Shepherd. And He reaches out and he brings you back and by the way we then wander again and he brings us back and we wander again and he brings us back and by the way that's the good news of the gospel the life-giving truth that every wanderer desperately needs to hear that the past and even the present sins can be forgiven hurts can be healed sins can be atoned for that's what we're celebrating at the table that's really what one of the things we're not just that he died for our sin, not just but that right now you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can have a walking relationship. You can be in fellowship. You can be saved, but off the path, he can bring you back. He wants to bring you back. He wants to have that family relationship. By the way, we're in fellowship, but you know what I mean when I'm saying. We can wander. The story of Robert Robinson illustrates this very well. In 1757, Robinson wrote the beloved hymn, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. We sang that, the first song today. This is part of that hymn. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it from thy courts above. The idea is prone to wander. This author wrote this. Curiously, some accounts of Robinson's life suggest that after writing this hymn, he wandered from God, not for a year, but for decades. Bouncing between denominations, wandering became a pattern of his life. And when I wrote, read that, I thought, maybe that's you. Maybe you received Jesus Christ, but wandering has become a pattern of your life. Thirty years after he wrote that hymn, Robinson met a young woman who happened to be reading a collection of poetry and hymns. By the way, just happened. 
He asked her to read aloud from her book, and she unknowingly read to him the very words of the hymn he had written years before. Apparently, Robinson not only admitted to having written the lyrics, but also to his deep longing to feel again what he had experienced with God when those words had been inspired. He said this, Madame, Madam, excuse me, I am the poor, unhappy man who composed the hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I then had. And my, you know, I am the poor, unhappy man. Maybe you're the poor, unhappy man, the poor, unhappy woman, the poor, unhappy teen who knew the joy of the Lord at one time, but has walked the path, and not just for days and months, but maybe a year, maybe more than that, where God has been knocking and you haven't been hearing. You, you, you just figured, well, I'm saved, I just can't wait to get to heaven. And yet, you know what, if you're not walking with Jesus, you're that poor, unhappy soul. You really are. And others, other things will fill that void, by the way. If God is not filling that, other things will. People, relationships, many times sins. And those sins, by the way, will eat you up. They will consume you. They will control you. See, this is good news for us. The good news is this, that Jesus Christ died for sinners. If you're a sinner that has never received him, you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Admitting your sin, repenting of your sin, turning to him, realizing he is the only hope, he is the only Savior, and that his sacrifice is complete. Because he said on the cross, it is finished. It's not that you add Jesus to your life, it's Jesus is everything, right? Many has received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God, to them who believe in his name. He will forgive your sins and bring you into his family. Complete. Complete forgiveness. I'm not saying that there's not a struggle, but it's not a struggle to stay saved. It's just a struggle with our own flesh. But then there's this other category. Maybe you're a believer, but you've wandered. And again, this can be, as the message uh, header says, uh, a fresh start and a new beginning. Today can be a new beginning for you. I'm, I'm just very concerned that sometimes we get into patterns of life. Oh, this is how it's always going to be. No! In fact, this whole chapter 8, 9, and 10 is really the nation of Israel going through a revival. By the way, the, the actual revi- word revival doesn't appear in Scripture, although it does say to revive, God revives us. Now, sometimes people use the idea of revival as um, coming to spiritual life again. Now, that, that's not a good definition for what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to is this, a renewed commitment. I don't know if you remember back to when you first got saved. And you finally, after receiving Christ, realized your sins were forgiven. And many times there was this, and by the way, for whom much has been forgiven, that person will love much. And your love towards Jesus Christ and all that he had done in your life was just, and you wanted to tell everyone, and you were like on, you know, just riding on a cloud, right? But time, time has a way of dulling what we had happen. And we forget, and we fall, and then we fall again. And I'm referring to sin. And we get sloppy in our Christian life, and the Word of God doesn't seem sweet to us anymore. And going to prayer seems like a burden, and we're just trying to pray for people instead of really enjoying the awe of God 
and we wander and we wander. And after a while, we wander and wander, and then it becomes a pattern. Maybe we even forget, and is it really real? And, you know, why am I need a church anyways? And why do I need to be around God's people? And I've got other things to do, and, and, and yet your soul is dry. And, and I believe that's what David's referring to in Psalms 51 when he says, Restore or bring back to me the joy of your salvation. <laughs> Lord, I want to, like that freshness, that freshness. Uphold me by your generous spirit. I like that second part. Because he's saying, I want it restored and I know that you're the one that does it and you're the one that has to uphold me. If you don't uphold me, Lord, I will fall again very quickly. James Boyce, uh, in his one commentary, was uh, telling a story about uh, talking to one of his psychologist friends. And he was just talking to him about change, how people change, why people change. But he got to this question, he said, why, why is there so little change in most people's lives? Why do their problems seem to so often just persist? And why does their therapy frequently continue for years? And again, this is a pastor ass and a counselor. Man, why don't people change quicker? And this is what the guy said. It's because people really do not want to change. I thought that's really true. We can come to church after it, go to the Word of God, but the question is, do you really want to change? No change ever takes place unless they really want to change. No change takes place unless you really want to change. Actually, part of it is this. By the way, when you talk about psychology and other stuff, part of it is also, they, you know, if, if, if you're not dealing with the Word of God, you don't even have the ability to change. It's the very Word of God that changes the heart. I think a lot of times people go to therapy and everything else. Nothing changes because there's no power there. But even for a person that's a Christian who is in the Word of God, the question is, do you really want to change? Do you really want to change? Do you really want to see what God wants in your life? Are you willing to go like the old Indians said, this is what uh, devotion was, and they, they would put something in their hand, and instead of holding it, they would devote something to the Lord, they would flip their hand and allow it to fall out of their hand. In other words, are you willing in your life to say, Lord, whatever you want in my life, it's yours. Or do we go like this, Lord, I want to serve you, but, and we put the parameters. You've got to give me this, this, and this, and then I'll serve you, Lord. No, God says, if you want to follow me, if you really want to change, you need to ch- then it's going to have to be changed the way that I want to put it in your life, and it's the change that I want to see in your life. And I am master, and you are not. And for us who like to build our little self-kingdoms, it's pretty hard, right? No, no, I want to hold on to certain things, Lord. Even in saying Lord means that he is Lord, right? So, fellow strugglers, fellow wanderers, do we need revival? Do we need a renewed commitment? And if we do, do we really want to change? Do you really want to be different than where you are? Do you, you yearn for the days, perhaps, that you have maybe even experienced in years past, or months past, days past, when you were walking with God and you knew the joy of your salvation? Because when, you, when we walk in sin, we do not know the joy of our salvation. Well, I'm going to give you three stages of spiritual revival, of this renewed commitment. Okay, renewed commitment. Now again, this is review. I... To be honest with you, I was going to do this review and then go right into the end of the chapter. And there's just no way. I mean, God has worked in my heart. This has been a good week for me. (laughs) I love it when it's a good week. 
But I will say this, it's been a stressful week for me. <laughs> but it's been a good week, spiritually, spiritually. Now, the first stage of revival, you want to go through revival, let's look at Israel. Let's look at what, 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 what God took them through to get them in a revival, which was the greatest revival in the history of Israel. And again, you know that Nehemiah was written 400 years before the time of Christ. And most say that this revival carried them right into the time of Christ. I'm not saying they were perfect, but what I'm getting at is this, is, this was the greatest revival of the nation. It's good to study. Chapter 8 is the first stage of revival, chapter 8. This is where we saw, and we're not going to go through there much, only to say this, there was the reading, the teaching, and the hearing of the Word of God. In other words, they got connected to the Word of God. It was the seventh month, the first day, and look at what it says. It says, uh, they were attentive, verse 3, and he read from, verse 2 says, from morning until midday in the presence of men, women, and those who could understand. They opened the book. They opened the Word of God and they read. And they read for six hours. There were some Levites there, verse 4. Probably they were helping Ezra read. But then there was also 13 uh, Levites on, in verse 7. And what they were doing is going around to the people and explaining to them what they had just heard. Because again, it does no good to hear the Word of God unless you understand the Word of God. Those other 13 Levites were applying the word of God to people. And the people's response, they understood the preciousness of the word. And look at, look at verse um, 6. They were submissive. It says, uh, the, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their head and they worshipped their faces to the ground. And look at, go over to verse 12. By the way, when the word of God hits your heart, I mean really hits your heart, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. If you leave the church on a Sunday morning and there isn't great rejoicing in your heart, either one of three things happened. I failed in presenting the word. God failed. By the way, God doesn't fail, so let's get that one off the... Or you failed in preparing your heart to receive, right? They heard the word and they were in great rejoicing. Man, I, we know what God wants us to do. And by the way, they went off and did actually obey what the, word, uh, what the, what the Lord had said. And they uh, celebrated the Feast of Trumpets for a day. And then, you know, a number of days later, the Feast of Tabernacles. And we went through all that. But, but you've you got to understand this, that this was the first stage of revival. They were getting connected to the Word of God. Sometimes we ask, well, you know, we've got to have devotions. We see, sometimes we put the spiritual disciplines in the wrong sense. It's not like spiritual devotions. Well, I just got to check it off, you know. Got to learn a little bit more about God. No, no. We should be like in awe of God. We go to the Word of God because we want to know God more. And they walked away and they were in awe of just all that God had said. And, and so, you got to get connected. Some of you, all week you haven't been connected to the Word of God. And yet you wonder why God's not blessing your life. Well, He's blessing you. He's giving us all things, uh, all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. But you know what? You're not experiencing them. You're not experiencing the joy and the peace and the love. You're not experiencing the contentment that God wants for you. But you've got to get connected to the Word of God. That's what chapter 8 just blares out and says. You've got to get connected to the Word. Step 2 of revival is then the confession of sin. 
Look at verse 1 of chapter 9, the 24th day of this month. That's the seventh month. Same month. We're just 24 days from, see, chapter 8, verse 1 is the first day of the month. And then chapter 9, verse 1 is the 24th day. We're all within about three-week period of time, right? Three and a half weeks. They were starting to confess their sin in chapter 8, verse 9. They were mourning and weeping, but the... The Levites and the, the spiritual leaders were saying, no, 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 wait, the book of the law says that we're supposed to be in the Feast of Tabernacles and the trumpets. So they kind of like this, they set aside their mourning because the law dictated that the nation should be rejoicing. So they did what the law said. They had their feasts of trumpets and tabernacles. But, but now it, it, they come off of that and, and within a couple days they're, They're confessing their sin. And by the way, along the way, they keep getting into the Word of God. Look at verse 13. And on the second day, in the seventh month, second day, the heads of the fathers' house of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Israel, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. (laughs) What you see is they keep coming back through the Feast of the Tabernacles. They keep going into the Word. They keep going into the Word. They can't get enough of the Word. They need the Word. We need the Word. You feel like that? (laughs) I just need the word. Lord, there is trials and tribulations all around us. The world is crumbling. I need you. Where do I find you? I'm going to turn on CNN. I'll find you there. No, no. No, that's liberal. Let's go to Fox News because I'm going to find you there. Oh, I'm just so tired. I'm going to watch some reality show. I'm going to find you there and have a little peace. Isn't that ludicrous? And yet some of us have gone to those stations and never gotten into the Word of God. That's what you're really saying. No, no, we need God. We need His Word. And so chapter 9, again, their hearts are humbled. Look at this. They're fasting in sackcloth, earth on their heads. Verse 2, the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners. That's sacrificial. That's talking probably about their marriages. They're not saying like this, we're better than you. But see, the foreigners were the ones that were trying to tempt the Israelites into false gods. False, ungodly ways. They had so many ungodly ways, we don't even need to get into it. But notice, look at the second part of verse 2. They stood and confessed their sins, i.e. publicly. (laughs) Anyone want to confess their sins publicly? (laughs) Why don't you start back there? No, no. And the iniquities of their fathers. Do you see what they're doing? They're confessing their own sins, and then they're saying, you know, and our fathers were no better. (laughs) We followed their ways. In fact, this is what the problem is. Sometimes we follow our parents, our leaders, and they're not going the right direction. There's not... And so they confessed the iniquities of their fathers, and they stood up in their place. Now notice this, verse 3, read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God for a quarter of a day, that's three hours, and another quarter of a day they made confession and worship. Read the word, confess. Read the word, confess. Read the word, confess. Worshipped. Notice the tight connection between confession and worship. And verse 32, now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. And, he did, and by the way, all of chapter, most of chapter 9 is just seeing how God has been faithful and merciful and steadfast and gracious and loving kindness towards the people of Israel. Which is this, Israel is unfaithful, God is faithful. And Israel doesn't love, God loves. Israel gives up, God is continuing, right? 
It just magnified God. Just magnify God, magnify God. And what I want to say is this. Israel got their awe back of God. That's the point. That's the whole point of this. Israel got the, their awe back. Oh, this is who we serve. This is who we serve. The transcendence. I'm reading this book by, um, oh, I'm reading a lot of books, but James McDonald and he, the vertical church. Anybody ever heard of the vertical church? Very good. But the point of it is all this. You know what we offer to others? You know what the church offers to this world and to others? This is what, basically, connection with God. Right? I don't mean through the sacrifice. Christ brings us to God. But we should come in and have an awe of who God is. That's why we gather. There's a lot of reasons we gather. But the most is this, that we, we're going to learn about our God. The awe and the transcendence. What do you mean transcendence? In other words, God is holy and we're not. We're sinful. He's infinite. We're finite. He's the holy other. (laughs) That's transcendence. That's awe. And that's what they got. They got the awe. Now, sometimes we lose our awe. In fact, I would dare say many of us have lost. This is what was so... This week was very hard because the Lord really had to do some heart surgery. But what I realized, I lost my awe. You can lose your awe. In fact, Paul Tripp in his book, uh, another book I'm reading, is Dangerous Calling. And it was written for pastors. Now think about that. Isn't an interesting title? Dangerous Calling for a Pastor? It is a dangerous calling. Why? Because sometimes the the familiar, you know, what? Familiarity breeds what? Contempt. You're in the Word. you're, You're praying. You're studying. You, you know, and... And, and sometimes it, no, it, it's just a message. It doesn't hit you. Paul Tripp says theology many times is like that. Theology, which is, again, the study of God. God's glory, God's grace, God's plan. His plan of redemption, His plan to rescue you. The fact that He is omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent, which basically means you, you can trust uh, uh, prophecy in Scripture. It's all coming to an end. He knows all. He's all powerful. See, he's moving everything to the end. But that's just, you know, okay, yeah, God is omniscient. But boy, am I worried about tomorrow. God is all powerful, but man, I am really anxious. (laughs) Do you see the conflict there? Paul Tripp says this, theology sometimes turns into the end, not the means to the end. What is he saying? He's saying theology, the study of God, sometimes becomes the end. No, no, it's a means to the end. Theology, the study of God, should then lead us to the worship and the awe of God and our own lives being transformed. See, we forget who we are, that we need rescuing. We forget who God is, that He is the sovereign King. And we need the Word of God desperately. It just keeps telling us who we are and who God is. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, He challenges us and changes us. And through that, our awe is restored. And we need our awe to be restored continually. We need to see again His wisdom and His power and His grace and His love and His sovereignty and all His attributes. We've got to run to God. By the way, when awe is not restored in a person or in a church, there's some things that happen. When we don't have an awe of God, 
then we have a tendency to get proud, <laughs> not humble. And our passion wanes. And our confidence wanes. <laughs> and we can't rest in Him. By the way, our own personal holiness, we become unholy. Because again, our eyes are not in Him. And the insignificant becomes significant. I noticed this in my own life. I, as I was confessing this last week, I started thinking back on a number of the situations in our church where the insignificant became significant to me. <laughs> things that are earthly, temporal, things that don't matter, things 100 years from now are not going to matter, all of a sudden became big. Why? Because if your awe of God is not big, if who He is is not big, well, where else can your eyes go but around here? People and... By the way, when your awe is big... Then, then you serve people not because you want to have a solid church, but because God loves those people. See, it changes how you worship. It changes how you relate to people. It changes how you relate to present versus eternity. And everything changes. Everything changes. So if you find yourself always frustrated with the insignificant becoming significant, then say, well, where are my eyes? Because maybe it's that your eyes are set not on God and his greatness, but on something else that really doesn't matter. Alexander White, a great preacher of a number of generations ago, wrote this, quote, The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And quote, I am glad he wrote that, because it just confirms what I already know, that we need fresh starts and new beginnings, right? We need to be brought back and say, you know, really what it's all about. And the Israel, Israel needed this, and they got hit with the Word of God in chapter 8. They then continued to get hit with the Word of God, and they had hours of confession. Isn't confession good? You know, when it, sin wears you down, and then you just like, you're right! <clears throat> but you know, after confession, you need to have a different change in direction. Sometimes we confess the same sin and we fall, and the same sin and we fall, and the same sin. And I think, wait, 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 wait. we got to change direction here. we gotta, we got to go a new direction because it's a fresh start and a new beginning on a, down a new path. The story may be fictional, but it illustrates the point of this chapter. In a certain church, there was a man who always ended his prayers with this. And Lord, clean out the cobwebs out of my life. Clean the cobwebs out of my life. One of the members of the church became weary of hearing the same insincere request week after week because he saw no change in the petitioner's life. So the next time he heard the man pray, Lord, clean the cobwebs out of my life, he interrupted with, and while you're at it, Lord, kill the spider. See, it's more than just confession. We need to walk in a new direction. A new direction. And you have to ask, were the Israelites sincere? Was this new direction? Did they want to go in a new direction? And you see it in verse 38 of chapter 9, 938. Because of all this, what do you mean all this? Hearing the word of God, going through the um, feasts, hearing the word of God day in and day out, and then confessing our sins. Again, this is on the same day, the 24th day. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed document 
on the sealed document are the names, and then they name, and, and then basically that's what we were going to get in today. <laughs> okay. They actually wrote it down, and we'll study that next week. And then they signed their name and said, no, no, we are dead on serious. We want to go in a new direction. This is not just a fresh start, new beginning. We are planning on going down this path. Do you remember what Jesus said about, uh, and this was just an example, but it, it, it shows the, the severity of our decision making. I use the word severity. Uh, Jesus said, if you look on a woman and lust after her, remember that? Look on, lost after. What, what, what should the person do? Now, again, he's not saying physically, but he's saying this is how we should approach sin. I'm not just talking lost. Any sin in your life. You'd be willing to gouge out your eye. Cut off your arm. By the way, the right eye, right arm is considered the best. The point is this. Three things. That's radical. That's permanent. Excuse me, sacrificial and permanent. You can put all three there. To gouge out my eye would be radical, it would be sacrificial, and it is permanent. You can't go back. You can't, can't gouge out your eye and then three days later say, oh, I really want to see again. I think when it comes to a fresh start, a new beginning, we have to have that same attitude. It has to be radical, it should be sacrificial, and it should be permanent. Lord, I'm planning on going down this path. I am planning on never going back to that other way. By the way, it might not be a severe sin. It might be a respectable sin. It might be, you know, Lord, I am not in your word. You know, we talk about prayer. I never pray. We've talked about fasting. I think I'm gonna, I am going to plan on fasting, maybe just one meal. But, Lord, I don't have the all. I am going to. It's whatever you decide. But, again, is it radical, sacrificial? And is it complete, as it were? Is it permanent? Now, this guy, he just wanted, oh, clean out the cobwebs, get rid of the spider. So the third stage was a formal commitment to change, a formal commitment. Now, some people say, you know, should we make oaths? Are you saying, pastor, that we should do a covenant <coughs> and do an oath? Because that's what they, you know, they actually uh, signed off. Uh, verse 29, it says, enter into a curse and an oath. Well, I, I, I thought about that quite a bit this week. I, I'm not saying that you should be, come into a binding oath unless it's directly related to the Word of God. Why? Because we have been brought into God's family. He is our Father. And the thing that should drive us is not the fear of breaking the oath, but the love that we have for the Father. Do you see the difference? You've got to be careful with oaths. I'm not, I'm not commending them to you. But I'm going to give you a couple examples in just a moment. I'm not saying that you have to do an oath, but what I do believe is this. You have to decide, you know what? I'm going in a different direction. If that is, in case, is indeed your case. So again, I, I remember taking an oath one time. Actually, it was a vow. Uh, I had had some relationships with different girls growing up in high school. They kind of went south, and I was so tired of it, you know, after three or four girlfriends, that I said, the next girl that I date, I'm going to marry and it wasn't Sola. And I was in that relationship, I think, for 18 months. And it wasn't a very good relationship. And, what I, and, and to be honest with you, if I had married her, I probably would have had only one child at the most and would not be in ministry. Her heart wasn't there. I stepped back and said, you know what, that was just a foolish words on my part from a young heart that was very frustrated. But I did say, you know what, 
this is what, after confessing and getting out of that relationship and everything else, because it really, it wore on me, because I, I vowed. Don't ever break a vow. He, you know, Ecclesiastes 5. But then, you know what the Lord reminded me? No, you know what, John, you should have done? And say, this is what a godly woman looks like and move towards that. Because my word says it, you know. So we have to be careful how we look at vows. I would say two things about, though, new directions. First of all, don't just say it. Write it down. Don't just say it. Write it down. It is good to write down the direction you desire to go. I've done that a number of times in my life. It's kind of, I'll give you a simple one that's not even sinful. You know, I want to lose weight. Well, if you don't write it down what you want to do, you're not going to do anything. Because the next piece of uh, pecan pie that comes around, forget the, what <laughs> you've got to have that written down, man. You know, I'm not going to, no! But especially when it comes to the disciplines of the Christian life. Or maybe you're struggling with something. What that keeps coming to my mind is bitterness. People can get bitter. I, I don't have the complete quote, but it kind of goes like this. Bitterness is like having a feast. You know, you ever go, my favorite feast is Chinese. Wellsville around here in Rochester, you know, oh, I love that. Ooh, you know, third plate, fourth plate. <laughs> bitterness is like having a feast only to find out that you're literally consuming yourself. You might have bitterness and you may have to release that. And God is saying, I want, I want to give you a fresh start and a new beginning, but you've got to release that. You've got to know that I'm God and you're not. I'm sovereign and you're not. And whatever that situation was, I put that in your life for a reason. It might be to learn some specific thing. It might be to learn to love. I don't know, but a fresh start. So don't just say it. Write it down. A general promise without specifics does not mean much. A general promise without specifics does not mean much. One of the people that we lift up, as it were, as a, an example, a model, is Jonathan Edwards. Lived back, I believe, in the 1700s. He was a pastor in Connecticut, ended up being a pastor in, uh, also to a small group of Indians, and then went to, I think it was Princeton, and ended up dying very shortly after. He, he wasn't that old. But one of the things he did when he was 18 years old, just a young guy, by the way, Charlie could correct me on some of this stuff if I'm saying it incorrect. I, I didn't do any research on that recently. But the point is, Jonathan Edwards' life was phenomenal. We still go back to his life. But when he was 18 years old, he wrote down what he called resolutions. I am resolved to. And he wrote it down. 18-year-old guy. 18-year-old. He had 70 of them. Actually, over the next two years, he developed. I think he started out with maybe 20 or 30, and then he added. But when he was all done, he was 70 resolutions. And every week, it says, remember to read over the resolutions once a week. He kept going back. He did, it's not like a budget or like a plan, and then you do it and then throw it in the drawer and forget about it. He said, no, these are guiding principles from the Word of God that I want to see implemented in my life. And it made a huge difference because he kept in front of it. So he wrote it down. He kept going back. But I found it interesting. Um, John Piper took the 70 and actually put them in chunks as far as topical he had them for overall life mission. He had them for, Jonathan Edwards had them for time management and relationships and suffering and character and his own spiritual life. But the point was, is he said, my life is too precious. I want to live for what God wants me to live for. 
And I would encourage you, you can just look up Jonathan Edwards' resolutions on the computer. They'll come right up all over the place. I mean, these are very famous. But let me read a few of these. See, he wanted a new beginning. How about his overall life mission? Resolve to live with all my might while I do live. That's just one of his resolutions. I'm going to live with all that I have. I'm going to give it all. And he wasn't just talking to himself, building his little kingdom. He's saying, I want to give it all. How about time management? Yeah, even then he had time management. Resolve never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Now, you might say, well, he's one of those analytical people. <laughs> Can't even enjoy life. No. It says that he would go out in the woods and, and uh, chop wood for a few hours just to enjoy the beauty of life. But see, that's different than, oh, I'm just going to waste three hours in front of the tube. By the way, they didn't have Fox News back then. So, How about relationships? Resolve never to do anything out of revenge. Oh, I like this one. Resolved never to suffer the least motions of anger to irrational beings. <laughs> he called the other irrational beings. Do you have any irrational beings in your life that you've ended up having motions of anger towards? Oh, how about suffering? Resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying. Oh, I see. He's got this death knell. Puritans used to think a lot about their dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. No, 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 they're not morbid. They're just saying, you know what? We're passing off this life very quickly. Am I living for eternity? That's all they're saying. Am I living for eternity? We can easily forget that this is a very short time on this earth. How about my character? He had this one. Resolved, if I, delight, if I take delight in it as gratification of pride or vanity or of any such account immediately to throw it by. In other words, I'm going to fall. And he's not saying he's perfect. He's just saying, I'm going to give it my all. <coughs> and then he ends with a few of these. Resolve, this all has to do with his spiritual life. Resolve to cast away such things as I find do abate my assurance. In other words, things that would assure me that I am truly a believer. I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm not going to deal with the mundane. I'm resolved to study the scripture so steadily and constantly and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. I'm going to get into the word. And then finally this one. I am resolved never to give over nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions. However, however unsuccessful I may be. Do you see what he just said? I'm going to fight my corruptions even though at times I fail. No matter how unsuccessful I might be. You know why he did all that? Because he wanted the awe of God. And nothing was more important to him than that. And he was willing to write it down and to go back. And I would encourage you. See, those were general principles, foundations. I would encourage you to do that. But then you can get more specific. And in this area, like this is what I did personally. There were certain besetting sins that I have. I have come up with a plan, written it down. This is what I need to do. This is how I need to live so that I'm not tempted in that area. Do you have the awe, or are you a wandering heart? Are you a wandering heart? Have you just wandered and wandered and wandered? My question is, are you ready <laughs> to change directions? Like the man who wrote 
prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, right? See, is God knocking on your heart and saying, you know what, you've wandered long enough. You've wandered long enough. You need to change directions. Maybe the Lord's knocking on your heart and saying, you know what, you need to get saved. You never received me. If you're sitting in your seat and you never received Christ, then call out to him. Confess your sins and turn from your sins knowing that he can forgive, he can bring you into his family. But if you're a Christian and you're just wandering, then you need to, you know, what does it say? Judge yourself so you're not condemned. Make sure you partake in a worthy manner. 